When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you'll get all of our new fantasy baseball content throughout the rest of the offseason and, of course, heading into 2024 as well. These podcasts, there's a couple other things on the horizon podcast audio-wise, um, articles, polls, news and notes, updates to our website, all of that you can find at Ethos Fantasy BB. So you could do me a huge favor, go and drop a follow over there right now if you haven't done so already. That's the one I want to prioritize more so than even my own account. I want to get that one up and up and more people following and seeing the great work that our guys are putting out here at Sports Ethos. And that's where you can do it. You can, of course, do it as well from sportsethos.com. It's easier to track the numbers, I guess, when you're looking at views on an article or podcast when you're talking about from Twitter, because it's a little bit more complicated from the website. It doesn't really matter to me how you see it. Uh, there's a ton of different ways where you can find our links, whether you are a subscriber to the website, whether you follow us on socials. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but make sure you guys are doing one thing, whether it's you know following or subscribing or doing whatever it is, so that you are not missing any of the great work from our guys here. But today... We are going to get the starting pitcher reviews kicked off. We've waited until the best position here. We've saved it for last. Now, I might do it first next year. I'm not sure. I just love pitching so much, and I feel like I want to get it earlier. But at the same time, I guess it really doesn't matter. We're still talking December. The vast majority of you guys have not drafted your leagues yet. So it's, at the end of the day, not a big deal if I do first base first or third base or shortstop. It doesn't really matter. But regardless, we are here at Starting Pitcher, it's the final review. If you guys are just tuning in for the first time, welcome. Go and check out the last couple months' worth of shows where we've reviewed every other position. we got a minimum of three podcasts on each position, usually talking about an hour and a half to two hours' worth of content, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less for each position. Talking generally about the top 20, and then we'll talk about some guys outside of that top 20 who I think are still fantasy-relevant or viable uh, maybe they had a bad season. Maybe they're a rookie who didn't have a lot of volume this year, so you couldn't get those accumulation stats. Whatever it is, we generally talk about 25 players deep at each position. A little bit more for outfield. But for starting pitcher, I'm going to try and get through about 100 names over the next five or six days. We'll go through the end of the week doing starting pitcher, and then we might even uh, do it starting into next week as well. Now, next Monday is Christmas. I'm not sure what that show is going to look like. We'll probably pre-record something for that, but it's going to be starting pitchers for the next little while over here. And if you guys are new to these review shows, if you're new to the podcast in general, I'll just give you a quick little primer. We use the Yahoo Player Ranker. I know that some people like it, some people don't. It's generally pretty standard uh, for a lot of people to use Yahoo's rankings. I know it is for a lot of the people that I play with in my home leagues, a lot of people that reference stuff when they send me questions over on Twitter. 
that's generally what we're looking at. A lot of Yahoo players. There's also a, a lot of ESPN players. I don't really like their ranking system, so I'm not going to use that. I think Yahoo is just a, a good default to use. Now, we will reference NFBC ADP as well. Generally, looking at draft champions, you can kind of look at all of it, and it'll give you a good idea. But there are some different formats they try out early in the offseason that does kind of skew a little bit of the ADP when you're talking about the gladiator formats and whatnot. But I think we've got all the preamble out of the way. Let's start talking about the top 10 starting pitchers from 2023. And the number one starting pitcher was the American League Cy Young winner. That is Mr. Garrett Cole. It's crazy that it took him this long to win a Cy Young. I think he has been one of the more dominant pitchers in baseball for a decade. It was really surprising uh, for a lot of people. I've kind of been you know, seeing this for the last couple of years. and just like, wow, it's weird that Cole doesn't have a Cy Young. But it was very surprising to a lot of people that Cole did not have one until this year. He definitely deserved it. He went 15-4. and four. He had a 263 ERA, and he gave you on the website, if my Fangraphs page will stop uh, having a little seizure here, .98 on the whip for Garrett Cole. Now, he was somebody that we talked about when I was doing my ADP fade show, when we were talking about the players within the top 100 picks that I'm not really a huge fan of drafting this year. And Garrett Cole is the first guy that we talked about, because really within that first round, I don't have a problem with many if any of the guys going there especially early on in the first round I think there's a lot of really safe picks and it even spills over into the second round guys that I think are really really safe but I don't know I'd put Garrett Cole in that same category his ADP is 12.7 minimum pick of eight uh, maximum pick of 21 and I still think that Garrett Cole is going to be a really solid pitcher I don't think that he is necessarily falling off a cliff or anything but I just don't think that he's going to be earning a first round ADP again a first round valuation He's getting a bit older. He's 33 years old now. It's not like you know the end of the world. He's not like he's 40 years old or something like that, but he's definitely getting on. He's a guy with a lot of innings under his belt. We're talking about nearly 2,000 innings because he's been you know pretty blessed with health in his career. Very healthy, almost always 32, 33 starts every single year, and there's a lot of mileage under his arm. We might have seen the effect of that this year because the strikeout rate was as bad as it's really ever been as long as Garrett Cole has been a star pitcher. It was the worst number we've seen at 27%, going back to his days in Pittsburgh in 2017. Now, in Houston, you know, it was always 34, 39, Yankees 32, 33, 32, elite, elite strikeout rate. Now, 27% is still a really, really good strikeout rate, but it was definitely a decline. It's a huge decline, in all honesty, for Garrett Cole to drop more than five points on your strikeout rate. That's kind of a big deal. Now, I don't know that it's going to necessarily keep declining at that pace, but you're suffering a little bit there. Like, Garrett Cole threw nine fewer innings than last uh, – excuse me, he threw nine more innings than he did in 2022, and he had 35 fewer strikeouts. Could be the difference there when you're talking about the strikeout category or even for points league, strikeouts count for a lot. It it definitely is something to take note of. Now, when you look at that 263 ERA, <clears throat> very good, a sparkling number. But he outperformed as expected as ERA estimators by close to a run, and sometimes even more than a run. You're looking at a 3.6 xFIP. You're looking at a 3.48 xERA. Those numbers aren't amazing. They're not terrible at all, right? We're still talking about a very good pitcher here, but we're talking about a first-round player, right? His Sierra was 363. You're talking about a full run that he probably should have been allowing, you know, per nine innings this year that he wasn't based on certain factors. The BABIP was really low. He was stranding a high number of base runners, the third highest total of his career. The BABIP at 261 was the second lowest total that he had ever allowed. And it was kind of odd because it coincided with some of the skills seemingly deteriorating a little bit. 
So this isn't to say that Garrett Cole is somebody that I don't like or he's not a great pitcher or whatever. I'm still going to have him ranked as, I believe, my number three starting pitcher going into next year. But I just don't see him being a justifiable first-round pick considering the other talent that's available there. And even you know beyond just that range, you can make up some pitching, I think, especially at this point in drafts, uh, at this point in draft season, you can make up for some pitching stats if you want to draft them you know, between pick 70 and 150, that kind of range. There's a lot of guys that will move up closer to March that you're not paying that premium for right now. And I think the stats can be very similar to what you get from Cole. I would take a stud hitter there, try and secure a five-category type of player, and not really worry about pitching in that first round with Cole. If I'm taking a pitcher in the first round this year, it's definitely Spencer Strider. It's not going to be Garrett Cole. So he is going to be ending up as kind of a quote-unquote fade for me, even though I do like the guy. I think he's a great pitcher, but I don't think we're going to see a 263 ERA and a sub-one whip again. But let's talk about the number two starting pitcher, somebody who I'm also kind of fading for next year, and that's Blake Snell. Blake Snell's coming off his second complete season in the major leagues, which I know sounds kind of crazy, his second full season, really. Uh, And in both of those full seasons, he has won a Cy Young Award. It's incredibly impressive. Now, we've seen 128 innings from him three times. Well, one of them was 129, which is like eh, not a full season, but pretty damn close with these days. But the two times where he threw 180 innings, you're looking at 2018 with Tampa and this past season with the Padres. Now, Blake Snell, I, I don't really... 100% 100% agree with the Cy Young choice. I eventually you know, caved and I said, yeah, he's, he's going to win. I wanted it to be Strider. I thought it should have been Strider for a long time. But I understand with the sparkling ERA why people gave it to Blake Snell. Well, we have to look for, for next year, though, right? Like, we're doing a review here, but we're also talking about previewing players for 2024. And Blake Snell, despite the fact that he was dominant, like, down the stretch, Blake Snell was... Honestly, he won you your league on all likelihood if you had him. In the second half of the year, he had a 154 ERA. He was just ridiculous. Um, definitely won you some pitching categories, right? Especially because you weren't paying a high premium for Blake Snell this past season. I had him ranked as the 22nd pitcher in my rankings, and I was the highest person in Fantasy Pros' rankings uh, on Blake Snell. Most people had him in the 30s. That's not to say that, look at me, but that's just to say he was somebody that wasn't really you weren't having to spend a high draft capital on last year and he ended up paying off a first round price pretty much you're looking at the 13th ranked player according to yahoo but we have to look at a lot of different factors that walk rate was atrocious at 13.3 percent it is the worst that he has ever had it was the worst in all of baseball in fact if you're looking at raw walk totals you're looking at more than 100 walks from blake snell or excuse me 99 walks 99 walks from Blake Snell. Now, you got 234 Ks. You got the good uh, ERA. You'll take it. But looking for, going forward, that's not really sustainable to walk that many batters and have that kind of success. Uh, we have seen Blake Snell you know, give you, you know, above four ERAs three times in his career. Three times he's been above four. And now a couple times he's been below two, below three kind of range. And people will point to that because it's the more recent sample size. But Blake Snell... I just think that he is going to be somebody that ends up hurting a lot of people in drafts. And I think he's going to hurt the team that signs him. I think this is a very similar situation to Robbie Ray from a couple of years ago where he won the Cy Young in Toronto. He got paid by Seattle, and then it was never really the same. I know he's been hurt and you know a couple of different factors, but that contract is terrible. And it's going to be the same thing with Blake Snell. I just think that he had a career year. It was greatly timed going into a contract year. But it's not something that I'm going to be looking as uh, repeatable going into next season. I think that Blake Snell is going to be a massive trap. His ADP is 63.6. 30 is the minimum pick. 91 is the maximum. If he's going closer to that maximum and you're getting him in like round five or six, then I think it's okay. But I'm not jumping up to draft him. I'm really not. I think that there's really a lot of good pitchers going 
And we're going to get to this throughout draft season. There's a lot of great pitchers going, and we'll even talk about a couple today. Later part of the top 100, even outside of the top 100, that I think can give you not the exact same skill set, but in terms of fantasy dollar values, in terms of where they're going to rank, I think you can get some pretty similar guys down the board. You don't have to spend a fourth or a fifth or maybe even a third round pick on Blake Snell. Pitching prices always go up closer to draft season. It's going to be with the same thing with Blake Snell. Coming off of Cy Young, once he actually signs somewhere and someone gives him $150 million or whatever it is, people are going to push him up around because that's just the way it works. If you really, really want him and you really believe in him, take him now. If you're drafted now, this is your time to take him because you know, you're getting him in the fifth round, sixth round. It's going to be third or fourth. It's going to be third or fourth pretty soon, and I'm not going to want him at all at that price. I don't even really want him at this price, but you can kind of justify it, right? He's coming off a of Cy Young. Uh, you know, you're looking at a great strikeout rate, but on the other side of that, it's like, well, he overshot his metrics by like a run and a half. You're talking like a full run and a half. His Sierra was over four. It was 4.06. He got incredibly lucky. So he's not somebody that I am going to be drafting or targeting at all, really. I mean, he'd have to fall into like the sixth round for me to even consider it. And even then, I don't even know if I'd be able to hit the draft button on Blake Snell. Let's talk about the number three starting pitcher. He is my favorite pitcher in all of baseball. If you guys have listened to the show even one time, at some point you probably know who this is. This is Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider coming off of a season where he had 20 victories. He had a 386 ERA, a 109 whip, and a 36.8% strikeout rate. Now, Spencer Strider was not quite as good as what we saw in his rookie season, and a lot of that did come down to the home run troubles. He went from allowing seven homers in 131 innings in his rookie year to allowing 22 homers in 186 innings. It went from a .48 homers per nine, doubling, more than doubling, to 1.06 homers per nine. This is not something I'm terribly worried about. You know, people will say, well, Strider's got the bad home run problem. He didn't have a bad home run problem in his first season. Now you guys all of a sudden think that he's just broken or something after showing us some of the best stuff and strikeout rates that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years in baseball. I, I can't look at him and say, oh, you know, he's he's not a great pitcher. He's a close to a four ERA pitcher. That's what he did this year. And that was the pushback I got a lot of the time. I talked about Strider at length on this podcast, on Twitter. I talked about him a ton and I'd always get these people saying, oh, yeah, four ERA. Yeah, that's not a great pitcher, blah, blah, blah. All these really, truly stupid, stupid comments about Strider. When you look at the actual skills, they are about as good as they can possibly be. The ERA, 3.86, not my favorite. All the expected numbers were among the top two or three in all of baseball. 2.92 XFIP, 2.85 FIP, 3.09 XERA, and his Sierra was a sparkling 2.86. Spencer Strider with the strikeout rate, pitching for the best team in baseball. There's nothing I can say against him, really. I think that he should be drafted as the number one starting pitcher. He is going to be number one in my rankings. I don't care what happens. I, I mean, barring any injury, knock on wood, he's going to be the number one starting pitcher in my rankings. That's not changing. I think that he has the highest floor of any starting pitcher in baseball. And pitching for the best team in baseball really, really does not hurt there either. He's projected, based on steamer projections, to win the American, or excuse me, the National League Triple Crown, and actually he's projected to have the best Triple Crown stats in all of baseball, the most wins, the best DRA. Like, he is truly, truly that good. The projections say it. If you look back on at film and you see how dominant he is, he is he's just that good. He really is. And that ERA this year is probably going to be one of the highest we ever see from him. The projections, the early projections, are a 3.18 ERA and a 1.08 whip. I think he's very easily the number one starting pitcher for me off the board. Next up on this list, at number four, kind of surprisingly to some people probably, is Zach Eflin. 
Zach Eflin was just amazing this season. I only had one share of him. I wish that I had him on every single team because he didn't cost a hell of a lot at all. And here we are talking about him as the number four starting pitcher in all of baseball. Now, something I do want to mention, I probably should have mentioned off the bat, is that starting pitcher rankings are going to be heavily influenced by the amount of wins they had in a given season. And the 16 wins that Zach Eflin had definitely, definitely helped. Somebody we're not going to talk about today, who we will get to in these reviews, is Sonny Gray. And Sonny Gray ended up with eight wins, despite being one of the better pitchers in baseball this year. It's really random, but he's going to be suffering from that in terms of dollar value, in terms of ranking, because wins are weighted pretty heavily. Now, I'm not trying to take away anything from Zach Eflin here, and I'm probably putting this out at the wrong second, uh, the wrong moment, the particular point about wins, because it'll make you think, well, maybe he's saying that Eflin isn't as good as he actually is because he locked into a bunch of wins. No, Zach Eflin, I think, is one of the truly one of the best pitchers in baseball. 3-5 ERA was the highest number you know, in terms of the pitching indicators. That was the highest one. He actually underperformed with that 3.5 ERA. He had a 3.11 XERA. He had a 3.12 XFIP. He had a 3.01 FIP. And his Sierra was, where did it go now? 3.30. All of those things measure different stats. There are things that overlap between them, but they're all different and they're all used differently. And he was excelling in all four of those numbers. A big part of that, is the control that Zach Eflin has. He's always been a guy who has great control, and we saw it reach new levels this year at a 3.4% walk rate. He also got his strikeout rate up to a career-high 26.5%. Zach Eflin truly was that guy this year. The Rays' rotation was filled with injuries the entire season. If you pitch for the Rays this year, you probably missed time with injury, almost certainly. Zach Eflin was not in that category. Zach Eflin made, I believe, every single start. He started 31 times. Maybe he missed one. He was a face of consistency, month to month, week to week. He was always, always on. He was stellar this season. Nothing you can say against him. Now, his price is really, really reasonable at this point, in my opinion. 92.5 is the ADP, 72 on the minimum, 144 on the maximum. I'm taking him. Every single draft I've taken him in both of the leagues I've done so far this year. Or did I take him in both? I took him in at least one. I might have got no, I got sniped in the second league. But I have him in one of my two leagues I've drafted so far. I'm gonna be drafting another one next week. We'll see what happens there. And then we're gonna to start to really ramp up our drafts. We'll see how many times I get him. The price will go up, like I said, with all pitchers. Zach Eflin's not gonna be going probably past pick hundred when it gets to February, March. But you're getting him right now, pick ninety-two. Sometimes you might have to pay in the 80s. Sometimes might go past pick 100. But in that range, he's one of those guys I'm talking about where he's not going to be a terribly sexy name. People are going to look at him, and partly because of that high win total, kind of discredit him probably for next season. But the underlying skills are as good as pretty much anybody in baseball. Zach Eflin was a top-five pitcher, not just based on fantasy rankings, but based on real-world metrics. Zach Eflin was a top-five guy. I initially ranked him at number seven for next year. Nick Pollock kind of spanked me for that one and told me how stupid I was. No, he didn't. He didn't say that. Nick's too kind of a guy to say that. Essentially gave my head a shake. He's probably not a top 10 pitcher. At worst, I'm ranking Zach Eflin as a top 15 pitcher, though. There is no question in my mind that he is very capable of repeating this season. It's a question of if he can stay on the field the entire year and be healthy. I'm you know, more along the lines this year. I mean, mentioned this a couple days ago with Tyler Glass now. If you're healthy right now and you just gave me a full healthy season, I'm not going to be you know, defaulting back to that quote-unquote injury-prone tag for a lot of players, right? Luis Robert was generally healthy this season, played like 140 games. I'm going to temporarily remove the injury-prone tag and say, okay, you've just proven to us that you can play a full season. I don't know what else you want from these guys who are generally getting hurt more often than other guys, but if they give you a full healthy season, 
that's enough to buy back a lot of good grace in my books. And I think with Zach Eflin, considering he was healthy and considering how great the skills were, I have no problem at all taking him where he's going and even a round or two higher in all honesty. But let's talk about the number five starting pitcher. Somebody that I don't think a single soul would have ever guessed would be a top five starting pitcher. Now, Zach Eflin would have been a really out there kind of guess, but there were people who were saying, coming to Tampa, this is going to be a huge year for him. He's going to improve, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think anybody was calling for a Kyle Bradish top five SP season. Again, it will vary based on what site you're looking at for rankings, but Yahoo has Kyle Bradish as their number five starting pitcher this season. He gave you the volume, 168 innings, over 30 starts. He had 12 victories. He had a 2.83 ERA and a 1.04 WHIP. This also came with a 25% strikeout rate and only a 6% walk rate. Pitching for one of the best teams in baseball this year, he was amazing. Kyle Bradish was an amazing, amazing pickup. I had him on my home league team. I picked him up midway through the year, and it was honestly shocking, like how consistent he was, how excellent he was. It seemed every single time out, Kyle Bradish especially down the stretch that last month or two of the year, it was it was ridiculous. He gave you a 234 ERA in the second half of the season with a 187 batting average against. He was just stupidly good. Now, I don't look at Habradish as saying he's a fraud or anything, but he definitely got lucky. Like, he probably should have been closer to, like, a 3.5 ERA. Projections for next year have him at 3.86. They think the whip is going to go up to 1.26. They think the strikeout rate's going to come down a little bit and the walk rate's going to go up a little bit. When I'm seeing that many quote-unquote red flags in a player's profile. Not that they're massive red flags, but in terms of the projections, if they are calling for regression in a number of different areas, that's when I start to take note. If it's one stat where they say, okay, they think the strikeout rate's going to come down, everything else will be generally in line, then that's where I might dig in a little deeper and say, maybe they're missing something here. Maybe they're not fully you know, up to speed with whatever. But when it's this many stats that are being projected to regress, for a team that I think can be expected to regress as well, I don't think that Baltimore is going to be a 100-win team every year now. I think they got real lucky. Not to say that they're bad. I think they're probably like a 90-win team. But they're not going to be winning 100 games every year, and that will cut into the overall value of the pitcher, right? You're taking away even 5 7 10% of wins from a team. You're probably taking away one or two wins from Bradish, maybe three. And that's already a random stat to begin with. Bradish could win six games next year. He could win 18. It's all really random. But I think the team is going to slightly regress to go along with his regression. I can't really get behind taking Bradish where he's going. And that's a top 180p right now. 70 minimum, 150 maximum. It's a bit of a range. But I can't get behind taking him inside the top 100. If you are, if you are seeing him go outside of that range, or if he's going between 75 and 100, I, I, I just... I don't know. I really I can't get behind it. I know that it's not an expensive price to be paying, but there's also not a long track record of success here. We're looking at one good year where the rest have been not good at all. With Eflin, at least we had good flashes, right? With, with Bradish, we haven't really seen much of that at all uh, at the major league level before this. And again, it was just the one year in 2022, but it was a bad season. He turned it around dramatically. Can he continue that? I'm going to lean towards probably no. So he's not going to be somebody that I'm targeting. My rankings will probably have Kyle Bradish in like the 40-some-odd starting pitcher range. I just think he's going to go into the year kind of a little bit overvalued. But let's talk about the next guy. Let's move on to number six, Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw. First of all, I don't know what Clayton Kershaw's future is going to look like. So when we're talking about 2024, it's a little bit fuzzy right now. But 2023 Clayton Kershaw was exactly what you were expecting, pretty much. He gave you 131 innings. still gave you solid strikeouts. He had a 246 ERA. I was 18.5 strikeout minus walk rate, which was not 
typical Clayton Kershaw, but for most pitchers, that would be a career year. Uh, 26% K rate, 7% walk rate. Now, Kershaw's injury and the shoulder surgery that he did have, I've heard varying reports about the timeline. I've heard some people say that this is generally something that's going to take a year plus, and Kershaw is not going to be pitching this year. I have heard people say that. I have heard some people say that he'll be back by midsummer. At this point, I don't really want to touch him, right? I mean, he could come back, maybe, but there's also just as good of a chance that he doesn't pitch at all this year. ADP has been steadily going down since we got news of that injury around beginning of November. I think we were in actually, I was in Arizona when that was announced, so that would have been like the first couple days in November. And we've seen him steadily start to go down and down and down. Now, people are still occasionally taking him inside the top 300 picks, inside the top 350 picks. And I get it because you see Clayton Kershaw sitting around there for so long, you think, all right, like I got to take him. It's Clayton Kershaw. But I don't think he's going to pitch this year. And I don't know where he's going to pitch this year. So there's a lot of red flags in my mind with selecting him, even though it's a late draft pick. You're kind of talking about draft champions territory at this point, or maybe you know if you're talking about your 12-teamer, you want to take him with your last pick, stick him on the IL. I can kind of understand it. But I just don't think we're going to get a hell of a lot out of Kershaw this season, right? We've already seen over the last several years that we can't rely on him from a volume standpoint. We know we're not getting volume in 2024. If anything, you maybe get half a season. You maybe get a third of a season. But even then, I think we're pushing it. I think we're probably, if anything, getting a couple of starts down the stretch to get him ready for the postseason. And that would be valuable when he does come back. You know, he's going to be a hot pickup. He's going to be a hot fab target. But I don't think that he's somebody that we can go into the year drafting. Even though when Kershaw's out there, you have as much faith in him as you have in anybody probably ever. Clayton Kershaw has thrown 2,700 innings to a sub 2.5 ERA in his career. He is probably the greatest left-handed pitcher we've ever seen. Maybe you could argue Randy Johnson, but it's damn close. Kershaw's been consistent for a lot longer. He is arguably the best lefty ever. But at this point, I think we're kind of a little bit past it. We're more than a little bit past it. Even though the skills, when he's out there, are still great, I just don't think he's going to be out there a hell of a lot this season. So he's not somebody that I'm going to be personally investing in. Even though the price is really cheap, I just think you're going to get hurt if you try and take Kershaw. Especially because, you know, like all pitchers, it probably won't be a lot, but he'll go up as we get closer to draft season. It won't be everybody, but people will start to panic and they'll think, oh, I don't have a lot of pitchers here. Kershaw might come back mid-season. I'm going to draft him in the mid-200s. It'll start to go up. It won't be past past pick 300 a lot of the time, especially once he actually signs, right? That's one of those things that we see that boosts up an ADP, whether he goes back to the Dodgers or signs with Texas, which I don't think is going to happen at this point. Probably go back to the Dodgers, but... Once a team gives him money, people are going to be pushing him up draft boards, pushing him up rankings. I think that it's going to be a pretty unwise move to do so. I, I can't get behind Kershaw. This is the first year I'm ever going to be out on Kershaw. And again, the price is cheap enough where it's probably not going to hurt you too much, but I really don't think there's going to be a hell of a lot of value in it either. Let's talk number seven on the list for the season, and that is Zach Gallen. Zach Gallen pretty much did what we were hoping for. Like He was a guy this time last year and even a little bit later, January, February, that was kind of one of those pitching bargains because people weren't really sure if he could repeat what we had seen in 2022. The early career sample size was really good, first couple of seasons, and then 2021, he had a real bad year. He missed some time. He threw only 23 starts, 121 innings. He had a 4.3 ERA. 2022, a lot of people including myself, we're kind of expecting a bit of a bounce back, and we got it. You know, 2.54 ERA last season, he was amazing. This year, people weren't fully bought in, though. People were still drafting him around pick like 60 to 80 kind of range. 
and he smashed it. He had a 347 ERA. He made 34 starts and 210 innings pitched, and then he added another 30-some-odd in the playoffs. I think Zach Allen threw more innings than anybody else this season, but it was a 3.47 ERA. He gave you those usual very good strikeout rate of 26 point, uh, 26% and a 5.6% walk rate, so a 20.4 strikeout minus walk rate. He had a 1.12 whip. He was excellent. He was absolutely excellent. Now, I thought Strider should have got that third spot in terms of the Cy Young voting at that point. I thought he was better, but we're splitting hairs at this point. Zach Allen had 17 wins. That's a huge, huge total, and it was massive for fantasy. However sticky it is year to year, you got those 17 wins this year from Gallon. You were probably very, very happy with yourself. I actually had one pitching staff that was Gallon and Kershaw. It was my TGFBI team, I think. And uh, was it TG? Yeah, I think it was. And they were an amazing anchor, one and two, that I didn't have to pay up for. And that's kind of the model that I want to try and hit on this year again is those guys, you know, the Eflins of the world and guys who are going a little bit later that you don't necessarily have to pay up for. But getting back to Gallon, the projections are good, but they're not amazing. They are projecting him to come back down to earth a little bit with a 3.83 ERA. They think the strikeout rate will go down a bit, and they think the walk rate will go up a little bit, while also projecting the whip to go up by a .1, the BABIP to go up, the left-on-base percentage to go down, Again, it's one of these situations where everything is projected to get a little bit worse next season. I don't love it. I don't love looking at those kind of metrics and seeing that kind of profile this time of, this time of draft season, especially when that player is going inside the top 40 picks. Now, I took Zach Allen once this year so far. I don't know that I'm going to take him again, though. 28 is the minimum pick. 52 is the max. Again, this is going to get more expensive. That 38 might end up being back end of the second round of a 15-teamer for Gallon, and at that point, uh, there's no way I'm taking him. There's no way I'm taking him. There's a lot of pitchers that I think are going to be able to give you kind of similar skill sets. I don't know that that 17 wins is terribly repeatable. Projections have them for 12. Wins are random. We know Arizona was a good team. Are they going to be able to do that exact same thing again? Probably. They can probably win 84 games again. Is Gallon going to win 17 of them? I wouldn't expect it. You just can't expect that with anybody, even with Strider, who won 20 games last year for the best team in baseball. Most you can really project for a guy like him is like maybe 14 or 15. You're getting into trouble when you're thinking that you're going to get the same number of wins again. You know, the Julio Urias kind of thing, where you're winning tons of games, tons of games, and then you just, you're not winning tons of games anymore, and people have kind of not factored that into their valuations, that a lot of your value did come from winning games, which is arbitrary. That's not to say that Gallon wasn't great. He was, 347 ERA, good strikeout, minus walk rate, everything. But I think he's going to be a little bit overvalued coming into this season. I think a lot of these guys who were top 10 finishes this year, people are going to draft them fairly high up, expecting repeat appearances in that top 10. I can't speak with any certainty that that's a guarantee for any of these guys, uh, but specifically for the guys who are projected to have uh, a bit of a decrease in their stats for next season already, right? Once we get into draft season, well, we are in draft season really, but once we get into like full-blown draft season, Gallon is going to be expensive. Gallon is a guy who now has a 321 ERA over 667 innings. It's a big sample size. People are going to really buy in. I just think that we're probably looking at closer to a 4 ERA than a 3 ERA, and I just can't really get behind taking him in the third round. I just think it's a little bit too expensive when I can replicate that a little bit farther down the board. Let's move on to number 8, though, and that's Luis Castillo. Luis Castillo... I bet Cincinnati wishes they never traded him because they're really in need of a starting pitcher. I bet if they could reverse that trade, they'd probably do it now, especially seeing how Castillo has done since he's been in Seattle. This past season was amazing. He was 14-9. and He had a 3.34 ERA and a 1.10 whip, 20.3 strikeout minus walk rate, excellent numbers across the board for Luis Castillo. 
Now, he's projected to have a pretty similar season next year. They think the ERA is going to go up by a .25, but at that point, it's not much of a difference. Whip will go up a little bit, they think, and the strikeout rate will be about where it's been for his career. He was 27% this year, 26% for the career. They're expecting 25.3. That's all within the range that I'm happy and comfortable with. Um, he's not somebody who vastly outperforms his expected stats. He's within about a half a run of where your, you know, those ERA estimators are. He's pitching for a good team. The division is going to be filled with crap. You know, it's pretty much just them in Houston. At the, I mean, Texas as well. But you're going to have a lot of games against the shitty Angels and the shitty Oakland team. I, I really like Luis Castillo, and he's another expensive one. He's not somebody that you're getting at a particular discount or anything. He's, you're paying more expensive price than Gallon. 30 is the ADP with a minimum of 16, maximum of 41. I'm going to be out just based on my general principle of not really wanting to take a starting pitcher there. I might once or twice, but it probably wouldn't be Castillo. I would probably prefer to take um, Zach, uh, excuse me, Kevin Gosman or Zach Wheeler in that kind of range. I don't think the Castillo is going to be bad or anything. I just really, truly don't like taking starting pitchers in that in that kind of range in the second round. That's position player territory for me. And if you're getting Castillo in the third, and that's where the ADP is kind of suggesting it's like the two three turn. If you're like selecting first overall, you take Acuna, you come back and you're drafting thirtieth, and you take Castillo and somebody else, another position player. Then I don't have a problem with that. I just don't think that he's necessarily somebody that I'd. I mean, I'm fine with him as my SP1. I just don't want to pay the price for him, right? Again, it goes back to the same point that I think I can kind of replicate value later down the draft board with starting pitching. I'm somebody who feels a lot more confident in my analysis of starting pitchers than I do in my analysis on uh, pitchers in general than I do in my analysis of position players. I think that I'm just better at assessing them. So I'm going to be personally more confident waiting a round, two rounds, three rounds, four rounds, five rounds, even more on these starting pitchers because I think that I can you know, find some diamonds in the rough a little bit farther down. If your personal mentality is I am shit at evaluating pitchers, I'm much better at you know, picking up the hot bats and you know, being on that wave, then maybe you do want to take a couple guys like the Castillos and the Gallons and the Gosmans early on so you don't have to worry about streaming pitching as much. It really does come down to your mentality, and I can definitely understand being in on these guys in the third round. It's just, for me personally, not something I'm going to really be doing a lot a lot of this season. Let's talk about his teammate. Let's talk about Luis Castillo's teammate, George Kirby. George Kirby is somebody that I have drafted one time so far this season. He is one of my favorite pitchers in all of baseball. The control is like historically good. If you're looking at plus stats, which try and normalize between eras, George Kirby's walk rate is one of the best we've ever seen. It's 3.2% at this point of his career through 320 innings. George Kirby at the major league level has 41 walks in 320 innings. That is absolutely bonkers. Ridiculous. The strikeouts are also something that I think has potential to go up. I've heard a lot of smart people talk about this as well. He's about a league average strikeout guy, 22 to 24 kind of percent. I think there's a world where he's like a 25, 26% strikeout rate guy. Whether it happens this year or not, I'm not sure. But he's young enough where I think we can definitely see him build on what we've gotten with a 22, 24% kind of average strikeout rate and get you up to a point where he's actually a plus in strikeouts. Right now, he's just kind of a neutral. 190 innings this year, 172 Ks. Now, considering that came with a 3.35 ERA and you got the sparkling whip to go along with it at 1.04, you're fine with it, but I think there's an even higher level that George Kirby can unlock. I think that control is so, so important and something that gets overlooked a little bit by us in the fantasy world. 
not by everybody, but I think some people, and I'm guilty of this myself sometimes too, of just looking at strikeouts and not really caring what the walk rate is as long as the Ks are good enough. But when the walk rate is this good, you really have to take note, right? The skills are unimpeachable for Kirby. I think that he is going to be almost, honestly kind of a steal where he's going, and it's not such a late draft pick. It's about a round later than those other guys we're talking about, the Gallons and the Castillos and the Wheelers. He's going about pick 42. 30 is the minimum, a little pricey, and 62 is the max. But if you're getting George Kirby in the fourth round, that's what I did in Arizona. I took him in the fourth round as my SP1, and then I kind of hammered a couple rounds of pitching in the subsequent uh, couple rounds, so I made up for it a little bit. Like I said, I don't love to take those early starting pitchers. or I'd rather take a couple position players, and then I can go with a guy like Kirby as my SP1 in the fourth round and feel really good about it, right? Even potentially the fifth round. I don't think that'll be a case a lot of the time. But pick 62, if you're getting him there, and it's happened a couple times where he's fallen outside, uh, maybe it's just twice. It's just twice. But if you're getting him in that kind of range, back end of the fourth, maybe beginning of the fifth, I love it. I absolutely love it for George Kirby. I think that he is somebody that, you know, you're pitching for the good team, similarly to Castillo. You're getting the excellent ratios. And you know that the whip is going to be good for him because of that walk rate. The ERA should generally be very good as well because he's not letting a lot of batters on base. It's just not something that George Kirby really does. The walks are exceptional. But he's not somebody who allows a ton of base hits. It's a 245 batting average against. Maybe a little higher than you'd want it to be. But with the walk rate where it is, that's a great number to be at. I'm a huge fan of Kirby. I think that he makes a lot of sense in the fourth round as your SP1, potentially your SP2. Again, it really depends on your build, but whatever he is on your team, SP1, 2, 4, I, I love him. I, I think that George Kirby is going to have an excellent season. He will be a top 10 starting pitcher for me in my rankings. I don't think he can do really any wrong. And if that strikeout rate does even go up a couple of points, you're looking at a guy who could very easily be a top five starting pitcher. His overall ranking this year uh, the page just uh, refreshed on me. Um, his overall ranking this year, as I pull it up, was probably honestly not even as high as it could have been. Uh, let's see where he was. 28. If he had, you know, the luck of a gallon and got a couple more wins or an Eflin or closer to like a Strider number and ended up with like 15, 16 wins, you're looking at a top five, not five overall player. You're looking at a top five starting pitcher, though, for sure. And that kind of luck can vary, but with the kind of control he has, the way he will limit base runners, you're going to get more win opportunities than a lot of other guys. You're not allowing a lot of runs. I know it sounds really stupid, but that walk rate is just so important. You're not going to have those like those two or three run homers for a lot of guys are going to be solo homers for George Kirby. I just think there's no wrong he can really do, especially at that ADP. I'm a huge fan of taking him as my SP1 in the fourth round. Rounding out the top 10 for us is Logan Webb. Logan Webb really, really took me by surprise this year. And it happened on opening day. I was watching him pitch against the Yankees. And Logan Webb put up, I think it was nine or ten strikeouts. And I was thinking, well, this isn't really Logan Webb. Logan Webb's not a guy who's going to have a massive strikeout rate, 20% last year. He bumped it up to 22.8% while lowering the walk rate from 6.2 down to 3.6%. It was a 5% increase in the strikeout minus walk rate. That's huge. He got the whip from where it was historically, which is not amazing. You're looking at about a 1.2 whip coming into this year for the career. You got a 1.07 whip out of him. You got a 3.25 ERA, and you got supporting metrics that show that he might have even been a bit better than that. 2.95 on the XFIP, 3.16 on the FIP. If you're looking at the Sierra, it was 3.16 as well. 
he was probably like right in line with that 325 ERA. And I honestly think the projection of a 3.54 ERA, it's safe, but it's honestly like a little bit low in my eyes. I think that he could be somebody that repeats that again. If you look at the last three seasons for Logan Webb, it's kind of under the radar, but 3.03, 2.90, and 3.25 ERA. He has a 3.4 ERA for his career with a 3.21 XFIP for the whole career. The Sierra is 3.5. Like, that's just who he is. He is that good. And it took me a couple of years to really, truly buy into it with Logan Webb. I've also kind of had some worries about San Francisco because their defense is shit, and we've seen that really spoil a couple of Alex Cobb seasons and Alex Wood seasons in the past. But he's able to compensate for that. He's just able to get by. I think part of it is because he doesn't allow a hell of a lot of base runners with that low walk rate. There's not as many opportunities for the defense to screw up because he's not getting the ball in play necessarily as much. There's not having to turn as many double plays, make more complicated plays. You're walking more guys. There's going to be guys on the base pass. It's going to put more pressure on the fielders. You'll have to throw to second instead of just the regular throw to first, or you have to throw to third. And it, it adds more um, pieces to the puzzle for the defense. That is something that Logan Webb kind of removed from their equation this year as much as he could with that walk rate. It was already good, but getting it down to an elite level it just makes it so the defense doesn't have to do as much, and you can kind of get by with having a subpar infield defense like San Francisco has had, defense in general, for the last several years. This is why a lot of people fade San Francisco starters because their defense is just so terrible, but a guy like Webb doesn't have to depend on it as much. I think that's a really important factor here. He is going to be one of my favorite players to draft this season, and I haven't drafted him yet, but I'm going to be doing it definitely a few times. ADP of 67.4, minimum pick of 49, maximum of 95. I don't think you can really do too wrong at that ADP range. If you're talking the fifth round for Logan Webb, you can double tap like a Kirby Logan Webb after starting with three SPs. Maybe you get a closer the round after. Like there's a really nice team build you can make that is not going to be walking anybody with Kirby and Webb as your three and four, four and five. Uh, rounds four and five. I shouldn't say three and four. It's rounds four and five of a 15 teamer. That's where they're currently going. I just think that that's hard to pass up at this point. You're not paying that high draft capital. You're still getting, you know, you're not getting the same high level strikeouts, but you can kind of make up for that with guys like Nick Pavetta and certain dudes that you can draft a little bit later in the draft that aren't going to be as sparkling, but they'll make up for strikeouts. And, you know, they might have some deficiencies that will kind of offset with guys like Webb and Kirby. You draft those high strikeout guys who are a little bit more volatile later on, dare I say a Lance Lynn maybe, and you can kind of work with the lower strikeout guys you're getting in the mid-rounds here because they're doing a lot of other great things for you. I don't see a big reason to be fading Logan Webb at all. I think that, the, honestly, he's going to be able to do exactly the same thing he did for the last three years again, and you're going to get a 3.5 ERA or lower. You're going to get a solid whip. You're going to get decent K numbers, and wins are always so random. It's almost impossible. I'm doing my projections now, and trying to put down a win number for every pitcher is oh, it's ridiculous. Everybody's pretty much going to be projected for like 10 to 13, 10 to 14 wins. It's hard to say if Webb is going to beat that or not. Probably going to put him down for about 12, and even if he gives you 12, you'll you'll take that considering what the other numbers are going to likely look like. But that's it. That's the top 10 starting pitchers, what my thoughts are on them. Generally speaking, I'm not a guy who likes to take pitchers early. I'm just not going to ever be somebody who does that. If I'm able to draft, like if I'm drafting at the end of the first round and Strider's still there, I pick 14 or 15, I'll probably take him because I just love Strider so much. But honestly, it's not really a wise move to make when I feel that I can really comfortable in uh, taking a guy three, four, five rounds later that is going to give me similar numbers. And, and not say you're going to get similar numbers to Strider, 
But you're going to get good numbers regardless um, from these pitchers that you are drafting later down the board. Not regardless. There will be guys that you miss on. But if I'm able to replicate 90% of the value of a first-round pick or 80% of that value with my pick in the sixth or seventh round, I'm going to do that every single time. And I really think that's what some of these guys can do, specifically Eflin, Kirby, and Webb. These guys are going a lot later than they probably should be. Uh, that will do it, though, for us for today. You guys can reach me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB, and, of course, SportsEthos.com is the website for you guys to go and check out. We will be back tomorrow. We'll talk SPs 11 through 20, talk about what I think about those guys. But until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers, everybody. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.